Amen. Well, if you got your Bible this morning, would you meet me in Luke chapter 8? Luke chapter 8. This morning, I want to bring a message to you called, Where is your faith? Where is your faith? Some of you who have been walking with God for a long time, you already know where I'm going today. Um, I have to just take a moment and tell you all, because this is just a moment of kind of me being as transparent as possible. There are a few places in Scripture, you know, I'm a, I'm a pastor's kid, and I grew up in church. I've been in church pretty much all my life. How many people you were raised in church, in church almost every single Sunday? Come on, raise your hands. You know, for many people like us that grew up like that, there are like a certain amount of Bible stories that you feel like you've heard a million times. There are a certain amount of places in the Bible where when I read it, sometimes, this just actually happened to me recently. I got up in the morning, I made my coffee, I opened up my one-year Bible, and I arrived at Luke chapter 8. And when I saw what the story was that I was about to read, I was like, maybe I should just skip this one today because I've heard this one a million times. Like, I already know it. I've covered it front to back. And of all the passages of Scripture and sermon or stories in the Bible, the one that I've probably heard the most messages from is this particular passage. So as a pastor, I always told myself, I'm not going to preach from that passage because there's nothing else to be said about that. But then the other day as I began to read it, I took the time, I was like, no, don't skip it, just read it. I was just amazed at how some things start to jump up that I've never really seen before. And here's why. Because the Bible is the only book in the world that reads you while you read it. It speaks to you right where you're at. It tells you where you're at. That's why the psalmist said it's a lamp to our feet, shows us where we stand, light to our path, shows us where we're going. So today, I really feel strongly about this message. If you're mature in your faith and you've been walking with God for a long time, I really pray and believe that God's going to show you some things today that maybe you've never seen before. But if you're new in your faith and you're not familiar with this story at all, I feel so honored to get to go through it with you for the very first time. So I want to look at Luke chapter 8 with you this morning. Super familiar, very, very famous story from the Bible. Luke chapter 8, look at verse 22. It says, now it happened on a certain day that he, Jesus, got into a boat with his disciples. And he said to them, let us cross over to the other side of the lake. And so they launched out. But as they sailed, Jesus fell asleep. And a windstorm came down on the lake, and they were filling with water and were in jeopardy. And they came to him and awoke Jesus, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. Then Jesus arose, and he rebuked the wind and the raging of the water, and they ceased, and there was a calm. Verse 25, but he said to them, where is your faith? I'm going to say that one more time. Jesus asked them, where is your faith? And they were afraid, and they marveled, saying to one another, who can this be? For he commands even the winds and water, and they obey him. I don't know what you're like. I don't know what you do when you get tired, when you're weary, when you need rest, when you need a getaway. But when I start to get tired and I am in need of rest, one of my favorite things to do is go on some sort of road trip. How many road trippers we got out there? Now, when I say road trip, it occurred to me this morning that road trip is kind of a funny word because to take a trip somewhere really indicates that we're going to a destination. But when you say road trip, it almost sounds like the road is the destination, and I think maybe that's why I like road trips because, you know, my wife and I, we have a couple of destinations that we like to get away to, you know, where it takes us four, five, six hours to drive to that place. So when I start to plan the trip, I get just as excited about the drive to the destination as I do about the destination itself. Because if I got like no traffic, if I have the open road in front of me, there is nothing like the open road to help me clear my head and get me in a place where once I get to my destination, I'm like ready to chill out, relax, and have a good time. 
I've heard it said that there are two kinds of people. There are journey people and there are destination people. I love the road trip. I love the sights along the way. I love to clear my head along the journey. I'm a journey person. How many journey people do we have here today? You enjoy the ride. All right, well, if that's not you, maybe you're the opposite. Maybe you are a destination person. A destination person says, why would I drive five or six hours to get there when I can spend a little bit of money on a plane ticket and get there in two hours? I don't care about the journey. I don't care about the stops along the way. I don't want to do any sightseeing. If we're going there, let's get the journey out of the way and let's arrive at the destination. How many destination people we got? All right, so we're probably like 50-50. Well... I got bad news for you destination people. If we were to ask, is God a journey person or a destination person? I got a feeling that God is more of a journey person. Because here's the thing. God has a destination in mind for all of our lives. I think God has different destinations in mind for most of our lives. The one that we all have in common, if we've experienced salvation, if we choose to walk with God, if we're disciples, if we're followers of Christ, Ultimately, we all have that one destination. We'll spend God in heaven, spend, excuse me, spend eternity in heaven with God forever together. We all have that in common. But I believe that when it comes to the purposes that God has for our life, there are different destinations along the way. But if you're a destination person, one of the things that you might get frustrated about is simply this. God is not concerned with how long it takes you to get to your destination. Because he will take you this way and that way and that way and this way from here to there and back and forth and up and down and side to side, wherever it is he chooses. And however long it takes, if it teaches you to trust him, if it teaches you to know him, if it teaches you to understand his character, to understand why it is that he wants to make you more into the image of Christ, God is absolutely without question a journey person. We see it all throughout scripture. Most of us, if you're like me, if you've ever been the prodigal or if you've had a long path that you can look back at and see where you've been and where you've come from, we understand that God is most likely a journey person rather than a destination person because God will take us anywhere he pleases as long as it teaches us, or excuse me, maybe I should also say it this way. He will also allow us to go just about any direction as long as it teaches us to trust him. Now, I know that theologically some of you are going different directions. Stay with me for a minute because I'm going to bring this all together. But if we look at this story that we just read of Jesus inviting the disciples to get in the boat, we see that God is willing to allow us to walk through seasons that will teach us to trust him. And if you look at this story, I think this is prime A example number one of how God wants to teach us to trust him and he wants to use the journey to do it. At the very beginning of this story, what do we see? What's the very first thing that happens? Scripture tells us that Jesus got into a boat, and he tells his disciples to get in the boat too. And what does he say? Get in the boat. Why? So we can go to the other side. We have to understand that when it comes to getting in the boat with God, with getting in the boat with Jesus, Jesus has a destination in mind for all of us. And when Jesus says that he's going to take us to the other side, you can take it to the bank, you can write it down as absolute truth that if God makes that promise, he is absolutely without question going to get us to where he wants us to go. The question is not, will God get us there? The question is, will my faith stay here in order to get there with God? Will I keep my faith in God to get to the destination that he intends for my life? You look at this story and Jesus says, guys, I want you to get in the boat because we're going to the other side. The reason at the beginning of this story that we see the disciples getting into the boat with Jesus is because Jesus has told them he has a destination in mind for them. Where is it? It's the other side of the lake. There was ministry on the other side of the lake. There was a purpose for which Jesus was inviting the disciples to get into the boat. Now, 
As we read through this, we see that the the word of God here, the promise that Jesus has made to his disciples about getting to the other side, literally is fact. Jesus says, we're going there, we're going to get there, it doesn't matter what happens when we get to the middle of the lake, I told you we're going to the other side, it's going to happen. So we have to understand that it is absolute truth anytime God makes a promise to us. Now, that's the literal story of Jesus and these disciples getting into the boat, but let's talk figuratively in our lives. We understand that when it comes to the promises and the purposes that God has for our life, 2 Corinthians uh, 1 says this, it says that all the promises of God in him are yes and amen through us. The NIV says they are yes in God and the amen is spoken by us. In other words, when God makes a promise to us, the promise is absolute. It is a yes. If God said it, he will do it. But the amen part is up to us. The so be it part, we have to choose to say yes to God's promise and then say, God, I'm going to walk this out as if it has already come to pass. No matter what comes my way, no matter what obstacles I might face, I choose to take your word to the bank knowing that your promises are true and nothing will change that. So I'm going to walk this thing out according to your word. Those are the passages that we see. If you want to back it up in one more place, what we see in Isaiah 55 is that the word that goes out from my mouth shall not return void to me, but it shall accomplish what I please and it shall prosper in the thing for which I want it. In other words, when God has a purpose, a plan, a promise for our lives, if he said it, he will do it. The only question is, will I be on board with that promise and will I stay, keep my faith in God until I reach my appointed destination? So at the beginning of our story, Jesus makes this promise. He makes this statement, guys, get in the boat. We're going to the other side of the lake. But here's something that you need to know when you choose to get in the boat with Jesus. If you have accepted the promise of God, between the promise and the possession of that promise, there will usually be a problem. Has anybody experienced this before? And is it because God brings problems into our life? I don't necessarily think that's the case. But I think the reason why we encounter problems between the time of the promise and the time of the possession is because of the fact that the enemy wants to see to it that we don't step into the promises that God has for our life. That's why. Between the promise and the possession of that promise, there will usually be a problem. So here's the disciples getting in the boat with Jesus, thinking they're just going to the other side. It's going to be smooth sailing and then... They run into a problem. Look what happens, verse 23. But as they sailed, Jesus fell asleep. And a windstorm came down on the lake, and they were filling, or the boat was filling with water, and they were in jeopardy. Now, when the word says jeopardy right there, it doesn't mean like, I'll take the daily double for 5,000, Alex. It means that they were literally in life-threatening danger. They were in jeopardy. Their boat was filling with water, and suddenly they were looking around wondering Are we going to make it through this? And so the disciples find themselves at this decision point. They might not have realized what was happening to them, but they had this opportunity to lose sight of the promise that Jesus made when he said, we're going to the other side. Now, like I said, between the promise and the possession of the promise, there will always be a problem. So the problems are always going to be a test of whether or not we hold on to God's promises. And I want to say this to you today also. When we get in the boat with Jesus, if we're in a walk with God and we begin to encounter problems, what we need to understand is that the problems are never a test of God's faithfulness. The problems are always a test of my faith in God's faithfulness. Because God's word, God's promises are absolute truth, they're absolute fact. So when we encounter those problems, it's not a question of whether or not God will come through. The question is, will I continue to keep my faith in the promise that God gave me? Does that make sense to everybody? So let's see if the disciples pass the test here. What happens next? 
Look at verse 24. And they came to Jesus, and they woke Jesus up, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. How many people, is there anybody here today, you're reading this from a King James Bible? Okay, that means that you're all pretty new school, but... (laughs) If you read this in the King James, literally what it says is, the disciples went, they woke up Jesus, and they said, Master, we perish. That's what it says in the English translation in the King James. It's as if this is basically, in today's modern language, the disciples went, they woke up Jesus, and they said, Jesus, we are going to die. That's what they said. They woke him up, they're like, we're going to die here, Jesus. And what we see here is that the words of the disciples' mouth, Jesus, we perish. Jesus, we're perishing. Jesus, we're going to die. The words of their mouth are an indication of the location of their faith. Because they come out and say, Jesus, I see the problems that are surrounding me. I see our boat filling with water. And there's one conclusion we've come to. Jesus, we're all going to die right now. (laughs) Sounds good, right? Wake up, because we're going to die. We're about to die. Jesus, I've observed the situation We see more water gathering in the boat. We've looked at the winds and the waves that are surrounding us, and we wanted to wake you up to let you know that we're all about to die. Now, I say all that to you today because the disciples had earlier gotten into the boat. Why? Because Jesus said, we're going to the other side. Jesus falls asleep in the boat. They wake him up, and they inform Jesus of something different than what he previously said. And when they come out and say, we're going to die, it's a complete indication that somewhere along the line, in the middle of that boat, in the middle of that lake, the faith that they had placed earlier in the promise that they would get to the other side has now been relocated from that promise, and their faith has been placed in the circumstances of the problems that surround them. Because they are now convinced that they're not getting to the other side, but instead they are going to die in the middle of the lake. How did their faith go from one place to the other? Let's read on. If we look at verse, uh, excuse me, we look at verse 24, it says, And they came to him and they woke him, saying, Master, we are perishing. Second part of that verse says, Then he arose and he rebuked the wind and the raging of the water, and they ceased, and there was a calm. And then he said to the disciples, Where is your faith? Now, I remember on Easter Sunday, we talked about how sometimes there are places in Scripture where we see rhetorical questions being asked. But I want to tell you that this is not a rhetorical question. A rhetorical question is a question that's raised to make a point that does not deserve an answer. But Jesus is asking these guys a literal question when he says, where is your faith? And I want to show this to you because if you go back and you look at the original writings, this is literally what Jesus is doing. Jesus is not asking the disciples, hey guys, where did your faith run off to? That's not what he's asking them. He's not asking them, guys, where did your faith go? What Jesus is literally saying to these guys is, hey, guys, your faith, are you able to locate it? Or more specifically, what he's saying is, hey, guys, your faith, where did you put it? And I want to take some time and I want to talk about this for a little while because we have to understand that what's happened here is there has been a relocation of the disciples' faith somewhere in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. Like I said, when they got in the boat, what were they doing? They were believing that their reason for being in the boat was to get to the other side with Jesus. Here come the winds and the waves, and suddenly they don't believe they're going to get to the other side of the lake anymore. Now they're pretty sure that they're going to die. And Jesus asked them this question, where is your faith? Guys, are you able to locate your faith? How many people have an iPhone? 
you probably have an app on your iPhone that says find my phone so that if you lose it, you can locate it. If these guys had 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 an app on their phone that said find my faith, what they would have found was that their faith had somehow moved locations from the promise that Jesus made to the problems that were surrounding them. For those of you who don't have an iPhone, let me just try to illustrate it for you this way. These are my keys. These are the keys to my car, my house, my office, the church, all that stuff. I need those keys every single day in my life, and I kind of pride myself on being somebody who doesn't lose my keys or my phone or my wallet. In fact, my wife laughs at me because I've developed this three-tap method where I'm like, phone, wallet, keys, do I have them? Yes, okay, I can leave safely now. But occasionally, I lose something, I can't find something. And so just like probably most of you, there are times where I walk out the front door, I got my bag over my shoulder, I'm thinking about what I need to do as soon as I get to the office, I gotta get in the car, I gotta get to driving, I reach in my pocket and my, my, my keys, I don't have my keys. And so what do we do when we can't find our keys? Here's a funny thing. Have you ever walked back into your house when you realized you didn't have your keys and the first words that came out of your mouth were, where did my keys go? Do you ever stop and think about what a dumb question that is? Because here's the thing, your keys don't have the ability to get up and hide. Your keys don't look at the clock and say, well, it's eight o'clock, Zach's gotta leave in the next five minutes, let's see if we can find a location that he won't be able to find us. My keys don't have the ability to get up and move and play a joke on me or play a trick on me. And the truth is, our faith is no different. Because in order for me to figure out where my keys are, I have to go back and I have to look for the last place that I left them. And when we find ourselves in difficult situations, just like if I'm going to walk out the door and i got to drive to the church, I can't get there without my keys. It's going to take these keys to start that car and get to driving. But when we face the storms and the challenges of life and it seems like our boat is taking on water, that is the exact moment that we need our faith the most. Yet sometimes we find ourselves coming face to face with the storm, looking for our faith, wondering, where did I put it? Where is it? My faith, am I able to locate it? Where did I last leave it? Isn't it funny how you don't realize your keys are lost until the exact moment that you need them? Like when you need to drive to work and you lose your keys, you're thinking, man, if only I realized last night that I lost my keys, I wouldn't look for them last night. But the thing is, you didn't need them last night. You didn't need your keys when you laid down to go to sleep last night. You needed your keys when you got up this morning to drive to work. Isn't it funny how you don't recognize that your faith has been misplaced until the exact moment that you need it the most? Disciples are out in the middle, of the, um, the middle of the Sea of Galilee with Jesus in the boat. Here come the winds and the waves, and at the exact moment that they need it the most, they realize that they have misplaced their faith. Jesus, we're going to die. It's all over. We're going down. That's it. Somewhere along the way in the middle of the story, the disciples' faith got relocated from the promise that Jesus made to the problem that seemed to be bigger than that promise. Man, haven't we all done that at some point in our walk with God? God, you promised you were taking me somewhere. God, you promised that you had destinations for my life, that there was a purpose in all of this. But man, it sure feels like I'm out here in the middle of the boat, in the middle of the lake in a boat that is filling up with water and I can't figure out what I'm gonna do. In fact, I'm not even sure if I'm gonna live to make the sea tomorrow. This might be the end. That might be all. I want to say something to everybody this morning because I, want to, I really want to encourage you here in just a moment with where this story goes. But if you have found yourself in the middle of the lake and it seems as though the storms are gathering around you and your boat is filling with water, do not allow your faith to be relocated from the promise of God to the problem around you. 
Instead, what you have to do is you have to remind yourself why you got in the boat in the first place. I'm going to say that one more time. When you find yourself out in the middle of the lake and the storms are surrounding you and you're not sure you're going to be able to make it through the storm, don't relocate your faith from God's promise to the problems. Instead, remind yourself why you got in the boat in the first place. Why did the disciples get in the boat? Because Jesus said they were going to get to the other side. There was purpose in the promise. And the enemy wants to throw problems into our life when he knows that we have purposes that are attached to our life and we're holding on to the promises of God because he doesn't want to see us get to the destinations that God has for our life. And when we find ourselves in those moments, one of the things that so many of us do when we get out there in the middle of the lake and it seems like things are going bad, we look at Jesus and we're like, well, I guess that's the end, God. It's been a good time, hasn't it? But I guess this is going to be the final straw right here. This this is the storm that's really going to take us down, isn't it? And can I tell you that if you are out in the middle of that lake and you feel as though the storms are surrounding your life, the worst thing you can do is think about jumping ship. Because it's better to sail through stormy seas with Jesus than to navigate peaceful waters on your own. It's better to sail through stormy seas with Jesus than try to navigate peaceful waters on your own. In fact, I'd say this, if your boat is surrounded by storms right now, it means that there is probably a purpose attached to your life. And you have probably acted on a promise of God and you are pursuing him, you're walking with him, and you're encountering problems. And a lot of times what we want is we want to look at the absence of problems. We want to look at peaceful seas and say, well, that's what a walk with God looks like. Let me tell you something, you start your walk with God, you get in Jesus' boat, there's a devil out there who does not like it. And he's going to bring storms. He's going to bring wind. He's going to bring waves into your life. But if you're looking around at the storms and you're thinking about shifting your faith from God's promise to the problems around you, don't jump ship because it's better to stay in the boat with Jesus. Now, here's where I want to go with this for just a moment because I feel so strongly like there's some people that this part is really going to resonate with. You know, this week... I was preparing this message and I was spending some time in the office and Pastor Aaron and I were in the office talking about this. And you know, both of us have spent a good amount of our lives kind of in real strong faith churches, okay? And you know, maybe you are kind of like us, there's been times of our life where we kind of were around a lot of extreme faith. And one of the ways that I've heard this message taught, I think has really led people to misunderstand the heart of God. I've heard this taught so many times that, you know, when we don't choose to to hold on to the promises of God, when we don't pass the faith test, when we fail, that God's just there like, oh, ye of little faith, you're so stupid, you're always failing, man, you can never get it right, you can never hold on to my promises, you can never keep my commands. We, We beat ourselves up thinking that God is this condemning God who's just looking down to smack us around every time we fail in our faith. We talked about this last week. And a lot of us have that visual and a lot of us see God that way because maybe that's been what our parent experience was like. You might be here today and when you were growing up, you could never please your mother and father because it was always about the things that you couldn't do, the mistakes that you made, the way that you fell short. And it was like you could just never make them happy. And I think a lot of times when we read this story, what we do is we put ourselves in the shoes of the disciples and we start to think that Jesus looks at the disciples like they were just complete idiots. And he's like, man, you guys are always messing up. You can never trust me. You can never act in faith. You guys are just absolute failures. But I noticed something as I was reading the story the other day. Scripture says that as soon as the disciples became fearful and their faith got relocated from God's promise to the problems around them, they went over and they woke up Jesus. 
And what I found to be most interesting was that when Jesus woke up, Jesus did not look at the disciples and say, man, you bunch of dummies, didn't I tell you we were going to go to the other side? Leave me alone, figure it out, I'm going back to sleep. That's not what he did. Jesus did not rebuke the disciples because of their fear and because of the fact that they had missed the mark with their faith. Instead, Jesus got up and he rebuked the winds and the waves. And then he looks at these guys and he says, I want to ask you guys a question. Let's use this as a teaching moment. We have to understand that the heart of God is always full of grace and it's always full of mercy because God wants you to learn to trust him. And Jesus comes over, he rebukes the winds and the waves, and then he looks at the disciples. And I think with all the love and compassion, I think maybe even the translation doesn't get it right. I think that if we had been in the boat that day, there would have been this incredible love and grace that would have just oozed out of Jesus and come straight to the disciples. And the disciples standing there in a moment of mercy and grace, and Jesus looks at him and he's like, okay, guys, listen, let's talk. Okay, your faith, where did you put it? Where did it go? And they're probably like, what do you mean? And he's like, okay, remember, guys, when we got in the boat together, what did I say? I said, we're going to the other side. Wasn't that what I told you? And they're all like, yeah, yeah, Jesus, that's what you said. He's like, so if I told you we were going to the other side, don't you think I'm in it? Don't you think I'm really, do you think I would leave you out here in the middle of the lake? But then here come the storms and here come these problems and here come these challenges and here comes the winds and suddenly the water's like coming in and you feel like your boat's gonna sink. Somewhere, guys, what happened was you shifted your faith in the promise that I made you to the problem that was around you. And I wanna teach you guys this. You need to learn to trust me. And a lot of times we beat ourselves up and we miss the point that when we fail, God's not standing there looking to rebuke us for our failures. There's a merciful, loving, gracious God who wants to kneel down and say, how can I help you get this right so that the next time you find yourself in the middle of this storm, you get it, you understand. I think what we need to see here is that God is not standing up in heaven with a hammer looking down to smash us every time we mess up. Instead, he's saying, I want to rebuke the circumstances around you, show you who I am, help you understand my character so that next time you find yourself in this situation, once you've gotten the revelation of who I am, you yourself can take authority over those winds and those waves and you can get to the other side. I think that's what Jesus was saying. If you're here today and you're walking through a storm or you've been through storms and it seemed like you jumped ship or you somehow relocated, misplaced your faith, you've messed up and you just walk around with this guilt thinking you can never please God. God is loving, God is gracious, and God is kind, and all he wants is to show you how to trust him. And if you've missed the mark, please know that Jesus is here. He's got a hand out to say, how can I help you get through this next time the right way? That's his heart, that's his love, that's his grace and his mercy for you and your situation. And we talked about the relocation of your faith A lot of times we find ourselves out there in the middle of the boat and when it seems like we find that moment, when we get to that moment where it's like, man, I don't even know if this is worth it anymore. I don't even know if I should stick this thing out anymore. I don't know if I should keep trusting God anymore. We're so tempted to relocate our faith from God's promise to the problems. The thing that you have to do before you ever find yourself misplacing your faith, you have to remember that you must remind yourself, why did I get in the boat in the first place? And I want to say this one more time because I feel so strongly about this. If you are here today and you are thinking about giving up on your faith because of the storm that's surrounding your boat, the worst thing you can do is jump out of the boat. Because if you are in the boat with Jesus, if Jesus is in your boat, your boat was made to float. 
Some of you see your boat right now just filling up with water and you're like, what are we gonna do? You're gonna stay in the boat, don't give up, don't jump ship. You think it's bad in the storm, in the boat? Wait till you get in the water and don't have anything to hold on to. God wants to walk with you, he wants to teach you, he wants to show you what it means to trust him so that no matter what storm you're facing, he can show you his goodness, he can show you his grace. We have to remind ourselves, why did we get in this boat in the first place? If you miss the mark, if you fall short, Jesus doesn't want to rebuke you. He wants to rebuke the circumstances around you so that you can learn who he is. And when you find yourself in that position again, you can take authority over the winds and waves in your life. But I want to ask you a couple of questions here real quick. And I know some of you are deeper thinkers. I want to just kind of mess with your theology for a minute, if that's okay, if you'll (laughs) let me do that today. And I look at this story, and there's a few things that just absolutely get me. There's things I don't completely understand. I've been taught certain things about this, but I want to ask you just a couple of questions here when you look at the story today. When the winds and the waves began to grow and the water came into Jesus' boat or into the, into the disciples' boat with Jesus, why did the disciples wake Jesus up? When Jesus was asleep, we'll talk about that in a second. That's a whole other matter, how Jesus was able to sleep through a storm. Everybody else in the boat thinks they're going to die. Jesus is asleep. It's crazy. Why did the disciples go wake Jesus up? See, my whole life I've read this, and what I thought was, I thought the disciples woke Jesus up because they needed him to save them from the storm. I don't think that's what was happening at all. I'm not saying that that's gospel truth. I'm giving you my opinion right now. I think the reason why the disciples woke Jesus up was because they were like, look, Jesus, we're going to die, okay? So, like, we just wanted to wake you up so that you can go out on your own terms. I honestly think that that's why the disciples woke Jesus up. They're like, look, man, we would have just felt really bad if we just let you sleep while the boat was filling up with water and you just drowned in your sleep. Like, we're all going to die, so we might as well wake you up, Jesus, and let you figure out what you're going to do now, okay? So, good luck, Jesus. You might be like, well, why do you think that? Because if you go on and read the rest of this, it says that as soon as Jesus calmed the winds and the waves, the disciples were fearful. They were scared. They looked at Jesus like, whoa, who is this guy? It says, who, what manner of man is this that even the winds and the waves obey him? I'm convinced with all my heart that to this point in the story, the disciples not fully understand who Jesus was. And Jesus, by calming the winds and the waves, proved to him, I'm God. I have authority over the winds and the waves. Don't worry what's going on around you. I got this. I'm with you. It's okay. A lot of us that come from strong faith backgrounds, what we've been taught is, well, those stupid disciples, they should have just stood up and taken authority over that storm. They didn't even know who Jesus was yet. They didn't even know the authority that God had given them yet. And I say that to you today to say this. If you're going through a storm, God wants to teach you who he is, his strength, his character, all that he can do for your life so that when the day comes that you face it down and he feels like you're asleep or that he's asleep in your boat, you yourself can take authority over the winds and the waves. Now, let's take it a step further because... Again, mess with your theology a minute here, okay? Why did Jesus fall asleep in the boat? Again, winds and waves. Everybody thinks they're going to die. I mean, the storm was that bad, and Jesus is asleep. (laughs) Like, it makes no sense. The only thing I can come up with, I, I don't know why, I don't know how Jesus was able to sleep. The only thing I can come up with is it was like this supernatural sleep that Jesus was able to have so that the disciples could learn a lesson. And when I get to the end of it, one of the things I see is I don't know how Jesus was able to sleep during a life-threatening storm. Like, I don't know. Jesus was probably laying there all wet. Like, the water's just coming in and filling up the boat. Everybody else thinks they're going to die. And Jesus is like... (sighs) I don't know how. I don't understand that. But the conclusion I come to when I read the story more 
is that I think all of us go through times in our life where we're holding on to the purposes and the promises of God, and it sometimes feels like Jesus is asleep in the boat. We're like, Jesus, I'm trying to navigate the storm all by myself. Don't you see what I'm going through here? It feels like I'm going to die. It feels like it's almost going to be over here in just a moment. But when you go back, and what did we say earlier? If you can't find your keys, if you can't find your faith, what do you do? You have to retrace. Where did I last leave it? See, the place that the disciples were supposed to place their faith was in the promise that Jesus made that they were going to go to the other side. And when Jesus goes to sleep and when we go through these seasons in our life where it feels like Jesus is asleep in the boat, we wonder, God, why, why does it feel like you're so distant? Why does it feel like you're so far off? Can I tell you, I believe with all my heart that one of the reasons it feels like that sometimes is because God wants to see if we will continue to hold on to his promise or if we're going to place our faith in our circumstances. And I don't say that to put guilt on you if you failed that test before, because what do we see? Jesus wakes up and he doesn't rebuke the disciples. He rebukes the winds and the waves. We need to remove the condemnation. We remove the guilt and understand that if we go through seasons, God wants to, to refine us. He wants to teach us to trust him. And again, if you feel like your boat is filling up with water and you're getting all wet from the circumstances around you, don't give up on the place that God has taken to you, that he says he's going to take you. Hold on to his promise and don't put your faith in the problems that surround you. Because God said he's going to take you there. It's absolute. It's truth. It's a done deal. It's a yes. It's up to us to say amen. You know, in saying all that this morning, this message is pretty simple. But in closing today, the thing I find is that I think this message kind of hits three groups of people or people who are in three stages of life. If you're here today and you've been walking with God for a long time, you'll understand this. And we go through winds and waves and storms in our life sometimes, and sometimes we've got to learn the lessons the hard way once, twice, three times, four times. With some of us, it's more than that. But what we find is that the more often we encounter the storms, it's the promise of God that gets us through the storm and keeps us believing that we're going to see the other side. And for everybody that's been walking with God for a long, long time, I know that you guys will know this. One of the things that you find is that once you get through the storm by holding on to God's promises, there ain't another storm that's going to come along that's going to scare you again. And maybe you're here today and right now you're in the season of life where you're facing a storm like you've never seen before. You've never gone through anything like this before. This is your first big test, kind of like the disciples being in the boat with Jesus. I'm just going to reiterate this very, very quickly. The worst thing you can do is jump out of the boat in the middle of the storm. Because it's better to sail through the storm with Jesus than to navigate peaceful seas on your own. But then maybe you're here today and you've heard the promise of God for your life that he doesn't just wanna bring you salvation, eternal peace, but he has a purpose for your life. There's destinations, there's purposeful destinies that God has for your life. And you're looking at the boat you see Jesus sitting there in the boat and you're thinking about making that decision. Should I, should I jump in the boat with Jesus because he's promised that we're going to go to the other side? You're thinking, yeah, but what about the storms that we might run into when we get out in the middle of the lake? What are my friends going to say? Is this going to be easy? Jesus never promised it would be easy to get in the boat with him, but he certainly promised that it would be worth it. And if you're here today and you're thinking about that decision, do I get in the boat with Jesus? 
Do I trust him? Do I take him up on his promises that he's gonna get me to the purposeful destinations that he has for my life? That I'm gonna see heaven with God for all of eternity? If you're thinking about that today, I wanna tell you the best decision you could ever make is to jump in the boat with Jesus because even though you might go through difficulties in your life, ain't nothing better than being in Jesus' boat and knowing that he's taking you to the destination that God has for your life. Today, if you're here and you've never placed your faith in God, I would love to lead you in a prayer today. Before we do that, I just wanna say something really quickly and just, I say this from the bottom of my heart. As we get to the end of our service right now, I know it's Memorial Day weekend. I know a lot of you got plans today. I know you're gonna try to get out and pick up your kids quickly so that you can go and beat the rush. I understand all that, but we have a couple of things that we wanna do here at the end of service. And I just wanna ask if you would be courteous of the people who are here today that maybe are at the first steps of their faith and hang out and just wait till the end of service to go. If you're here today and you've never made a decision to step into a relationship with God, we do that by saying yes to Jesus, by by placing our internal faith in the promise and the sacrifice that he made for us, that he died for our sins, that he was raised from the dead, that we would spend eternity with him. And we speak it out with our mouth, confessing him as our Lord and our savior. Maybe you've never made that decision before. I would love to lead you in a prayer today to invite you into that relationship. Or maybe you're here today and you have made that decision, but somewhere along the way you misplaced your faith. Maybe you'd say, today's the day that I wanna replace and locate it in the right spot and put it in the sacrifice that Jesus made for me so that I can reach the destination that he has for me. Doesn't matter where you're at today, we're not gonna put you on the spot. We're not gonna embarrass anybody. We're actually gonna pray a prayer together with everybody having their head bowed and their eyes closed. I wanna invite everybody right now to do just that. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? If you're here today and you need to make that decision for the first time, or maybe you need to make a decision today to come back and put your faith in Jesus again, I wanna lead you in a prayer. There's nothing special about my words. What's special is about the commitment that you make in your heart and with your words. So all together right now, out loud, right out loud, would you repeat these words after me and say, Dear Jesus, I thank you for dying for me. I believe that you went to the cross to pay a price that I could not afford. I believe that you rose from the dead, conquering death and hell in the grave. And I want that peace in my life for all of eternity. So today I choose you. I wanna walk with you. I wanna learn your ways. I want your purposes for my life. And I want everything to change from this day forward. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I know that was a really simple prayer, but the thing that's so significant about it is the commitment that you make in your heart and speaking those words right out loud. And today as a church, we wanna help you if you made that decision for the first time or maybe you recommitted your life to Christ. We wanna help you in any way that we can, but the first step, we wanna put something in your hand. It's a free gift to help you start that walk and it's just a simple book that's called The Next Seven Days. There's two different ways that you can get it right after service. After service, we're gonna have some prayer teams right down here. These are just awesome people that would love to pray with you, help you in any way that they can. If you have something going on in your life, you need someone to pray with you, come down, see one of these prayer teams. But let them know today I made a decision and I wanna get the book, they'll give it to you. It's a free gift, we don't need anything from you, but if we can help you in any way, we wanna help you. If you need to go quickly 
as you go out the exit doors today, there's a desk in between the exit doors and it says next seven days right above the desk. Just stop, let them know you made a decision today. We wanna put that in your hands just to help you start your walk with God. We believe it's the best decision that you could ever make. It's an important decision. And we wanna be here for you and be here with you to walk out that decision. There's a room full of people here that have made that decision before. So I wanna tell you something, there ain't nothing to be embarrassed of if you made that decision today. Tell somebody, let them know I made a decision to walk with Jesus today because there's a room full of people that have done that before. Can we put our hands together this morning and welcome people into God's family? Amen. Well, hey, a couple last things that we wanna do today. We're gonna come right now and we're gonna bring our tithes and our offerings into God's house. We're gonna give to him. You know, we believe that God is generous. He's asked us to be generous as well. So we do this out of obedience. We do it out to honor God. I wanna say very clearly, we do not give to get. We give to honor God because we believe that God is worthy of our highest praise, but it's also out of his grace that he pours out blessing into our lives. We believe that God wants to bless us because of generosity. God is generous, so I believe that he is calling us to be as well. So thank you very, very much for your generosity, for your giving that enables our church to do everything that we are. We're just people who are obeying God, partnering with him to make a difference in the community around us. And I wanna take one extra moment just to highlight something. So if you'd be patient with me, you know, we normally have three ways that you can give on the screen. You can give, if you want to give a cash offering or by check or putting in your information on the envelope that's there in front of your seat, you can do all that. But this week, we actually have a brand new option. We have a text to give option that is so incredibly simple that we're rolling out starting this week. And we want to show you about this just really quick. It's the easiest way. I started this this past week. Easiest way to give. You set it up one time and then you can do it so simply right after that. Check out this video just to show you about text to give here at the bridge. We are happy to announce a new, convenient, and safe way to give here at The Bridge, and that is through our Text to Give option. Simply text the amount you wish to give to 951-916-1570. You will immediately receive a reply text, sending you a link for a one-time account setup. After that, future giving is as simple as sending a text message. We hope you'll take advantage of this convenient option when giving. As always, we are grateful for your generosity. So I set this up on my phone this week, and I just saved it on my phone as Bridge Text to Give. It's 951-916-1570. If you just text the amount of the gift that you're wishing to give, it'll send you back a link. You just set up your account one time, and every week or whenever you get paid, however you do it, it's just as simple as sending an amount via text. It's done. It's the easiest way to give. And um, we're very excited about it because it's incredibly convenient. So again, thank you so much for your generosity. And the very last thing I want to say is this. Over the course of this month, we have been raising funds to build a church in Kenya in East Africa. And we're on target to meet our goal. We have a missions team that is going next month. And we, we're so excited about building this church, you guys. This is such an amazing opportunity that has come our way. And it hasn't just randomly come our way. This has happened through the local church, through families in our church. And we are just thrilled about this because this is going to be done through authentic relationship. We are going to be building a church building, a focal point for a community of believers to meet and gather right there in Kenya. And we are so excited about this. So if you'd like to give to that today, you can just designate that as Kenya Church on your envelope. Or if you do want to set up text to give, you can just text the amount along with Kenya Church right there in your text message and it'll go to the specific fund of giving. So thank you again so much for your generosity. As our ushers come right now to receive our tithes and offerings, give in confidence because God is faithful. Amen. Amen. Let's watch church news together.